The older Esther has gotten, it is becoming more difficult for me to go to work. I'm not going to lie to y'all. Uh, like, it's becoming more difficult. You know, when I first started going to work, I would get up and I would leave, and her and Emily would be napping throughout the day. So sometimes I left, and my wife looked like Jane from the office, amen. Uh, just flat up laid up in bed. I was like, this is why I do it. Uh, this is why I go to work, you know. And there's some mornings I get up, and Emily's busy doing other things, getting, getting Esther ready to go throughout the day. But just this past week, on Monday, Esther went and got her fake set of keys and came in there and said, work. She had her keys in her hand. She said, work. She said, go work. And she knew. And it's really cute because I thought it was really cute. But then, as you know, the older she's gotten, the more she'll go stand Becky by the window and she'll wave at me and she'll blow me kisses. And I'm just like, I can't go to work. Uh, you know, because I'm thinking, oh, I want to stay home. I want to spend time with my family. But I do know that that time away from her gives me more time with her when I do get back, right? Because it's important you leave work at work and be home at home, holding the sermon, right? But the more you get older, something that I've also discovered is it gets really easy to be on the clock, on the time of somebody else all of the time. And iPhones do not help this. You think about our modern technologies where we have 24-7 news cycles. We are all the time listening and being plugged in to things all of a sudden. Like how many of you don't, don't really raise your hand but maybe nod your head? You would say you've got notifications turned on your phone for almost every alert you can possibly imagine. How many of you would nod your head and say, yeah? You'd say, yeah. Like if your phone is going off, you got notifications for Fox News. You got notifications for, for CNN. You got notifications for, you know, I've got my Outlook. I've got my Gmail. I've got my uh, fitness app. I've got the weather app. Just in case Trent Oakerson says there's lightning detecting your area. Uh, right? That all the while you got all these notifications all the time going on. And it's really, really hard for you to just take a day off to take a day off, take time to just rest and relax. Like some of you, you need a vacation from your vacation before you get back to work, right? Because you really struggle with taking time off. You really struggle with taking a day of rest. And yet here we have the Lord, the one who is sovereign over everything at the dawn of creation itself. On that seventh day, it says the Lord rested from everything he did. Now, do not misunderstand me here. I do not think that Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing this saying the Lord was tired. We don't read that in the text. That's not, that's not true of our God. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't lack energy. He doesn't need rest and nutri- nutritious uh, sleep like we do. But the Lord here is doing something way more important than just saying things. He is showing things. Because if anything, I would argue to you that rest, Sabbath, of course, in the Old Testament, was given to the people as an example to follow, right? Saying, hey, the Lord here is resting because he wants to show people, hey, this is a good rhythm of life. This is a good rhythm for you to fall in. And it's an example to follow, right? And what's really important here, you'll notice that the Lord uses very specific language. Did you catch it there? He says, this is a day, uh, the seventh day finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day and all the work he had done. So the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy, right? So that word holy, I'm not going to lie to you, get church. For my first probably 15 years in church, I always knew, thought I knew what holy meant. And it's only here recently in the past couple of years I really, really understood what it means. Because when I was a kid, you were taught something was holy, it means it was set apart, which is true, right? Set apart. But the more you study Scripture, the more you really learn some deep theological things, is you find out that holy doesn't just mean set apart, but it also means devoted to. Because it's both of those things. Being holy means, guess what? The Lord is set apart, and we're supposed to be devoted to Him, right? 
So whenever the Lord sets something apart, it is different, but it also means it requires devotion. Because I'll give you an example. In my house, I have a coffee mug that is holy and devoted to me. You know what I mean? Like, I have a mug in my house that is my mug. If I see my wife drinking my mug, I think, you go, go, go get your mug. Uh, because that holy mug is holy, it's set apart, and it's devoted to me. Does that make sense? It's set apart and devoted to me. I'll give you an example because we got Mr. Young here, right? Uh, that, uh, you know, we got the, Kylie and Young and Nick are getting ready to get married this Saturday. Guess what they call it? They used to call it holy matrimony. Some of you remember that language? They used to say things like that, like we're, we're, about to get, we're about to introduce these people in holy matrimony. Because from that moment on, guess what? They are set apart from the rest of the world, and they're devoted to each other. Because that's what happens is my wife back there, guess what? She is holy and set apart from me. She's my wife. I can kiss her, right? I can hug her. I don't want you kissing her. Uh, you know, I don't want you hugging her, right? Why? Because that's my wife. She's set apart and devoted to me, and I'm set apart and devoted to her, right? So when the Lord here takes the Sabbath, he takes the seventh day, he sets it apart, and he says, on this day, you're going to rest but not only this, you're going to be, it's going to be holy, which means it's set apart. And on that day, I want it to be devoted to me. I want it to be devoted to me where you can rest in me. You can rest with me. You can spend time with me. And here's the powerful thing. Here's the really, really powerful thing. This is before the law is given. So this is before Sinai. This is before uh, the Exodus. This is before all those things. This is in the rhythm and fabric of creation itself. This is the rhythm and the fabric of creation itself. And I know many of you are probably thinking questions like I'm thinking. When I was maybe hearing this, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor Nick, does that mean we should have a Sabbath? Does that mean we as Christians, we should honor the Jewish Sabbath and from Friday at 6 p.m. till Saturday at 6 p.m. we should call that the day of rest and we should be Seventh-day Adventists and all these other things? I want you to hold on to those questions because I'm going to address those things as we go on. But I do want you to understand that this example to follow of resting is very much a part of spiritual health. It's very much a part of walking with the Lord. And Sabbath means what? Just to cease from activity. Just to cease from activity, to stop, to stop. But you might think, where does it really become a command? It becomes a command in Exodus. Because in Exodus 20, we read this, this is the Ten Commandments being given to Moses, to the children of Israel. Look what it says in Exodus 20, verses 11, 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So there's the, the call again, remember, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So you see here, once again, it's set apart, but it's also devoted to. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the soldiers who is within your gates. Here's what's powerful about this. The Lord goes through and he knocks out everybody, right? Like you're probably thinking, well, I can rest, but guess what? My workers, they're going to work. I can rest, but my ox, he's going to pull. I can rest, but my son-in-law, he's going to make his due, right? Uh, and so the Lord goes through and look at this, knocks out everybody. He says, doesn't matter who's in your house. Everybody has to stop and cease on this day. Look what verse number 11 says. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
made it holy. Now, if you did not know, this is really, really important that this is nestled where it's at in the Ten Commandments. Because in the Ten Commandments, you've got three of the first three, the first three, one, two, three, that are all three addressing our relationship with God, right? I don't know if you knew that or not. All three of those are our relationship with the Lord. All three of those, right? Do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Uh, Have no other gods before me, right? All those things are addressing our relationship with God. In between those is the Sabbath. It's right there. It's number four. And then the rest of them, guess what? They are our relationship with our brother and sisters. Like if you read through the Ten Commandments, it's kind of an easy breakdown for you. The first three are our relationship with the Lord. Then there's the Sabbath in between everything, kind of like a sandwich. And then on the back half, all of those are our relationship with each other. Like you might know some of them, right? You shall not steal, shall not covet, right? Do not lie, you know, all these things. And so you think about those Ten Commandments. In the middle of those, nestled in the middle, is the Sabbath. And if you go back and read, like we just read here for a moment, and if you read this account as well as the Deuteronomy account, which Moses is giving the last kind of big speech, pep talk to the new generation going into the promised land, the Lord spends the most time talking about the Sabbath. Talking about the Sabbath. He spends the most amount of verses. He spends the most amount of uh, words describing and making sure they understand, guess what? Sabbath. Make sure you understand the Sabbath is very, very important. Because you have three, one, and then the rest of the six, right? And so, I mean, you think about this. You might think, what, what, what in the world does that have to do with anything? If you think about it, you cannot love people well if you're tired. You can't do it. I'll be honest with you. If you want to see me in a bad mood, catch me when I'm tired. I'm not in a good mood, right? When you're annoyed, you are tired, you're more likely to steal. I would argue that. I would say, well, you're tired, exhausted. You're more likely to cheat, right? Because you're tired. You don't want to do the work. You don't want to do this. You're thinking, I'm going to take a shortcut. And so it's pretty powerful here that the Lord nestles this in the middle. Why? Because I love this phrase. I think it's John Mark Homer who said it, but he says, when we keep the Sabbath, when we rest, the Sabbath Sabbath keeps us. I think that's so powerful. When we rest... The Sabbath helps keep us, right? It keeps you in check. I love this one kind of definition of it. Never do things whenever you, before you do something, actually, you should always halt. I like this. It's an acronym, right? It stands for when you're hungry. If you're hungry, you should not make big decisions, right? You ever been hangry before? You ever been hangry, right? Like you go to Walmart thinking, I'm going to get my list. You go hungry. You buy $400 worth of stuff, and you got six things in your cart, uh, right? And you're thinking, why did I buy all this stuff? Because you went hungry, right? So you make sure you're not hungry. Make sure you're not angry. Because when you're angry, guess what? You make dumb decisions. You ever have something come out of your lips and you're angry and you can't pull it back? You're trying to pull it back? Ever been married? (laughs) Right? So you make sure that. The next one, so we got H, hungry. We got A, angry. The L is lonely. Mm. When you are lonely, you don't make good decisions. When you are lonely, sin pulls at you. Sin is at the door, is what the Lord said to one brother in the text. Sin is at the door knocking, right? Because when you are lonely, guess what? You make very, very bad decisions. I'll just put you a word of caution out there. Uh, This is just general marital advice. I'll give this to you for free. Um, Is that if you are married, I don't know why I'm doing all this, maybe because Kylie and Nick are here. Uh, You know, uh, when you are married, guess what? Always, always remember a golden rule. They call it the Billy Graham rule, what it stays true for our generation even today. There should never be a time where you're in the room with someone of the opposite sex who is not your kin. 
Does that make sense? There should never be a time where you are one-on-one alone with somebody with a member of the opposite sex unless they are your kin. That's going to protect you. If you get in the elevator and it's just you and maybe a female and you're a male in here and you might see just her by herself in the elevator, brother, I would call you and say, I'll wait for the next one and let her go down. You might be like, what are you trying to say? You don't say No, I'm saying don't put yourself in a situation. Don't put yourself in a situation. I always encourage people. And once again, it sometimes gets me. It's like, I can't believe you act that way. Guess what? There should never be a conversation that your spouse is not involved in, especially with somebody of the opposite sex. Why? Because once again, you've got to say these are healthy healthy, healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries, right? Healthy boundaries. So make sure, once again, we're hungry. We're not hungry. We're making decisions. We're not angry. We're not lonely. And then what do you think the T is? We're not tired. So make sure you halt before you make a big decision. Why? Because when you're those things, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, you make bad decisions. You make really bad decisions. So make sure you slow yourself down. Check yourself, to quote a deep theologian, before you wreck yourself. Right? Make sure you check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, because you do need to calm down, Ricky Bobby, right? Uh, because at the end of the day, you can make really, really bad decisions when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So make sure you slow down. Make sure you slow down. And so before the Israelites get into the wilderness, really get into the promised land, before they do everything, God gives them these commandments. Gives them to them on a tablet of stone. Why? Because you need to remember this, church, over and over again. I think we, get, we, we forget the elementary things of our faith very, very quickly. The Israelites had been slaves. You see, Pharaoh had made them make bricks and mud with straw and clay for years upon years. 400 years they'd been slaves in Egypt. That means for 400 years, guess what? They'd never had a day off. 400 years, guess what? Whenever they messed up, they would say, more work. 400 years they had spent breaking their backs to build a pagan empire because they did not follow the Lord, right? 400 years. So it shouldn't surprise us that God interweaves this into the Ten Commandments. Why? Because the easy part was the Israelites getting out of Egypt. The hard part was getting, the Egypt, getting Egypt out of the Israelites. That was the hard part. The hard part was getting Egypt out of them. Because guess what? They wanted to work. And they were thinking, no, we've got to work, we've got to work, because our worth comes from our work. And if I can't work, it means my worth is not there. And they, they had in their minds, they had in their brains, guess what? If we don't produce, Pharaoh is going to be mad at us, Pharaoh's going to kill us, Pharaoh's going to, he's going to destroy my family. We've got to work, we've got to work. And what did the Lord say? The Lord say, I did not rescue you, I did not ransom you to work for me, I ransomed you to serve me. To serve me. And the Lord was showing them, guess what? I'm not Pharaoh. Your identity doesn't come from your work. Your identity comes from whose child you are. You're my child. So the Lord was trying to show the Israelites, guess what? That this is a new way of life. I want you to walk in this way of life to bless you. To take care of you. Because if you do those Ten Commandments, if you keep, those are great principles. Great things to do. But of course, like all rules, like all commandments, guess what? Israelites weren't able to keep them. They broke them. Don't look at me with your self-righteous attitude. If I had them up here, you broke every one of them too. All of them you broke. You know, like I've never told a lie before. That makes you a liar, right? Because you're a liar. I asked, I asked a crowd that the other day at my work. I said, who in here has ever told a lie? People didn't have their hands down. I said, you're lying right now. 
We've all lied. We've all stole. We've all cheated. We've all done those things. You might look, I didn't never cheat. I never steal. You've never taken something from your parents when you were a kid. They didn't know about, well, I was a kid. It didn't matter. We've all broken every single one of them. And the Israelites, guess what, are in the same boat with us because they broke every single one of them. I love what the Lord does through Ezekiel. He calls them out on this in one of his prophets here. Listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 through 20. It's a long passage. I'm going to read it to you, but we're in church, so we can read the Bible. Okay. Uh, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths. Listen to that language. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Did did y'all hear that? The Lord says, I gave it to them to sanctify them. Did y'all see what the Lord's doing here? He says, I gave it to you to change you. I gave it to you to change you. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statues, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. And I acted for the sake of my name. Did y'all hear that? He acted for the sake of his name. And it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statues and profaned my Sabbaths. For their heart went out after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them, and I did not destroy them or make them full end of them in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statues of your fathers, nor keep the rules, nor defile yourselves with idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules, and keep my Sabbaths, holy that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Did you hear that language? The Lord says what? I gave this to you as a sign. I gave this to you as a means of sanctification to to change you. I gave this to you for your good. If you keep my commandments, it leads to life. It leads to goodness. But over and over again, why? Because the Israelites were hungry for food, right? They wanted the food of the Egyptians. Because they were angry. They were angry and bitter all the time. Like, ah, and they were lonely thinking we're all by ourselves. And because they were tired, guess what? They went after idols. And they chased down those idols and they bowed before these pieces of wood. I believe it's either Ezekiel or Isaiah who says, you take a piece of wood, you carve it and make an idol, and you worship it, and you take the other half of the wood and burn it in your fire. You're a fool! Is what He said. And how quickly, you might, might be passionate, we don't do that. No, we bow down to things like political power. We bow down to things like the state. We bow down to things like work. We bow down to all these other gods in our culture thinking they can give us our worth, they can give us our value. And if I don't do these things, then I lose my worth. And I lose my value. So that generation came and gone, and over and over again you see the cycle in the Old Testament of people doing the wrong things, doing the bad things, doing maybe the right thing with the wrong motive, right? Which is still the wrong thing. And you had this new religious sect that grew up called the Pharisees. You've probably heard about them a lot. You probably in Jesus' day, you probably know who I'm talking about. The Pharisees were this extreme religious group who came on the scene very, very quickly, and they kind of had this revelation, self-revelation, I should say, where they understood that if we kept the law that God was good to us. And when we didn't keep the law, bad things happened to us. 
So you know what they did? They took the law and they added even more laws to it. And they build, I love how one, one commentary said it, it says they built even a, a law around the law itself. They built kind of like this, this fence protecting a, the, the law itself, saying, no, we've got to protect even the laws of the laws of the laws because we don't want to do anything bad. And this is why whenever Jesus shows up, his biggest, biggest arch enemy when he was on the ground, boots on the ground here on the world, was the Pharisees. Because remember, they, were, they had all these man-made laws, all these man-made traditions, they had all these things they had built around the law itself. They'd taken a good thing, and they had transformed it into a bad thing because they built all these other laws around it. Make sense? And so whenever they would have confrontation with Jesus, Jesus would always remind them, says, look, you've added to it. You've added to what my father has spoken. Let me tell you what really was said. And he would always take them back, right? Always take them back to the original context. Because if you did not know, we've, we preached this a couple weeks ago, but just give you a refresher here. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 27 through 28, this is the, when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. Look what it says here in verse number 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for man, nor man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord on the Sabbath. Why? Because they had gotten so religious, church, that if somebody did certain things, guess what? You could be killed for breaking Sabbath rule. To give you some example of what extreme I'm talking about, a woman was not able to gaze into a mirror or any type of reflection device back then, lest she see a gray hair and pluck it. That would be considered work on a Sabbath. So some of y'all, y'all have a lot more gray hair, right? That went over flat, uh, you know, at the end of the day, because at the truth it is, that would be ridiculous, right? If they walk so many feet, that would be breaking the Sabbath. You could be put to death. Think about that. We had a squad out there checking your Fitbit or checking your iWatch, right? Let me see how many steps you got, bro. You ain't walking with the Lord. You're walking with the devil because you got 334. It'd be ridiculous, right? It would be ridiculous. And this is where Jesus kept exposing them and exposing them, and exposing them. Look at that language. I love the language so good. He says, man was not made for the Sabbath. I mean, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The original context, why did God give us the Sabbath? Why did God give the Israelite community, those people, the Sabbath? It was a gift. That's my last point, a gift to receive. And it was a gift to receive. Think about this. This is what's really powerful. If you don't miss, you're going to miss this, you're going to miss the entirety of the text here. The Sabbath was the, the, the wrapping paper, was a sign kind of a pointing to what was coming. Pointing to what was coming. So here's the thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to confuse what I'm about to say because there's many people that get confused over this and there's no basis in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the Jews were instructed to follow the Sabbath, right? We are not Old Testament Jews. We are not being given the instruction by God himself to obey a Sabbath day. Stay with me or you're going to get lost as a ball in high weeds. God does not require me and you to, from Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown, to cease work lest there be consequences. God does not require that of us. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Pastor Nick, why in the world are you talking about resting and worshiping? Because they go hand in hand. But what did happen was that when Jesus was walking the earth, he would always follow the Sabbath. He would. If you look at the rhythm of Jesus' life, every Sabbath he was in the synagogue. 
You see this over and over again. He was at the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was teaching on the Sabbath. He was doing all those things, right? But after the resurrection, there's a shift that happens. It's very subtle. If you don't pay attention to the language in the New Testament, you'll miss it. Because the resurrection happened not on the Sabbath, but on the first day of the week. First day of the week, right? The first day of the week is Sunday. It's not Saturday. So on the first day of the week, the New Testament church gets this language from the New Testament itself because the Apostle John, whenever he writes the book of Revelation, he gets, a, he gets an out-of-body experience, right? The Lord calls, catches him up, and he says what? I was in the Spirit on what? The Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is the first day of the week. It is called the Lord's Day because that's the day for the past 2,000 years. Sunday is the day where we all recognize this is the day of the week Christ resurrected. This is called the Lord's Day. Here is not what happened. God did not take the Sabbath and bloop, change into the Lord's Day. That's not what happened. That's not what happened, okay? So I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, our Sabbath is the Lord's Day, and the Lord's Day is the Sabbath. That's not true. They're two completely different things. Two completely different things. The Lord does not require us to take a mandatory Sabbath. Stay with me here, church. You're going to miss this. The Lord does not require that of me and you. But the Lord does require that we bring worship, honor, and praise on the Lord's Day. And all the church broke out revival. The Lord does require us to celebrate the resurrected King. He requires this of us. He requires of us to guess what? Whenever it's the first day of the week, whenever it's Sunday, that we gather with a group of local believers in a local church. Stay with me. Now I'm going to say some things. It's, it's controversial. and Some of you might be mad at me for this. You might be angry. And I'm just going to have to say, I'm sorry. If I hurt your feelings, I was aiming for your heart. You can't be a part of a local church that's 300 miles away. You can't be a part of a local church where you don't know the pastor, you don't know his family. You can't be a part of a local church where you don't know anybody there. You can't be a part of a local church if you're not locally in that community. And I know in our day and age, you can say, well, I can stream a service. I can watch. I can be. And, they, and I know some of the church out there, and I'm not trying to hate on them and cause any confusion here, but they might say, you're part of our church online family. No, if I'll be honest with you, the best place you can be a church is not online, but in the pew. It's in the church, in a local body of believers. Because life is messy, church. Life is hard. And I always say, you shouldn't be able to know me and know Emily. Why? Because you should never, ever, 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 ever think that just because somebody has gifting or charisma, that's above character. Because that's a recipe for disaster. Because when you're when your gifting and your talent outpaces your character, that's called destruction. Destruction is looming. We've got to always remember, guess what? Character is just as important as charisma. So thinking back to this, Jesus here says what? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this Lord's Day thing, you might think, Pastor, why, why, would you, why are you bringing so much focus on this? Because for us in the New Testament, our resting doesn't just happen physically, but our resting happens spiritually. Because what we're resting in now is not the commandments. Oh, this is so good, you're going to miss it if you don't pay attention. We're not resting in the law. You know what we're resting in? We're resting in the finished work of a resurrected Christ. 
So we're not resting in the law. This is really good news for us. Why? Because it went from do this and do that to done. I'm telling you, you missed it. You missed it. It went from I've got to obey these rules, and if I want God to love me, I've got to check these boxes, and if I don't check these boxes, God doesn't love me. If I don't do this, I don't do that, then I'm going to miss out on this. I'm gonna... Guys, it went from all that checklist to Christ ripping up the list as I've done it all. I've done it all. Church, we went from law to grace. We went from do to done. We went from, you know, you've got to, got to, got to, to Christ saying, just, just, just believe I've done it all. We've went from religion to relationship. And it changed everything. Because we're resting in the finished work of Christ. And now what I mean by this, I love what Paul says to the church of Colossians. He says in Colossians 2, verse 16 to 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you for the question of food or drink or what regard of the festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. Look what he says there. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know what he says there? He says these are shadows. These are shadows. You ever been walking down the street and you saw something scary on the ground? You saw a street light, it was a shadow, and you're like, it's a big dog, and you walk around, it's the Keto Taco Bell. Some of y'all get that reference from the 90s, hey man, some of y'all love woof. Let me eat your wawa. He's like, it's a big dog, and you walk around, and he, uh, why? Because the shadow is just a figure of what's to come. It's a figure of what's to come. The Sabbath and all of the things in the Old. I'm telling you, this is why some of you are thinking, the Old Testament's boring. It's, it's Loserville. Who cares about all those names? Guys, let me tell you something. The New Testament is not sweet unless you really understand the bitterness of sin in the Old Testament. Christ is not a Savior unless you understand you're lost. You can't know you're lost unless you understand what your sin is. You can't know what your sin is unless you understand how holy God is. So with the gospel, we don't start with man, we start with God. Why? Because when you start the gospel with man, you think that the gospel is about man, and you think Christ is all about man, and you think God's all about man, but do you see what Ezekiel says? Christ and God do everything for their name's sake. The gospel's not about you. The gospel is not about me. Church is not about you. Church is not about me. So I'm thinking, Pastor Nick, I don't like the worship style. You know what I'm here to tell you? It's not about you in the first place. I wish they would sing this. I wish they would sing that. Guys, it's not a smorgasbord, a buffet, a spiritual uh, of stuff we feast on. No, we are bringing the offering to the Lord, saying, Lord, is this worthy of praise and honor? Guys, I don't care if it's 200 years old. I don't care if it's 20 minutes years old. As long as it's bringing adoration and worship to the King of glory, it's worship. It doesn't matter if it was written in this century or that century. And I'll be quite frank with you. It's some of that old-time religion stuff that's got deep theological meaning and it doesn't have a good beat, but it's got truth. A truth never goes out of fashion. Truth is always true. It's always true. So what do we do, Pastor Nick, on the Lord's Day? Pastor Nick, what do we do? We gather. We sing. We sing. The church for the past 2,000 years has been gathering on the first day of the week, church, and we've sung. I love what Matt Chandler says, but he says, Regardless, come what may, we are going to sing. Isn't that so true? 
Every Sunday, you know why we gather? We gather to sing. I always joke with people, there are two signs of a healthy church. There's minivans in the parking lot and people singing. We got one of those halfway checked. The other one, we got spades, baby. I think we ought to get a contract with the Chrysler, amen. <laughs> How many vans we've got out there. We do good with that. We do good on repopulating, filling the earth. We're like, check, check, check. You got Fallon and Jess back there, foster care system. Check, 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 check. You know what I'm saying? Praise God for our foster moms. Amen. But on the singing, as your pastor, I'll be honest with you, we, we sometimes we go lackadaisical. Sometimes we're like, I don't, you know what I love to hear? I love to hear from some of you, and I love you. I love you. She said, I just don't feel it today. I just don't feel like it. You notice we don't have a big sign up here that says, how do you feel about worshiping the Lord? We don't have that sign. I'd love to walk in somebody's church and have that sign on the wall. How do you feel about worship? Don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know is true. Because what I know to be true is the same regardless of how I feel. I'll give you an example of this. And I'm, we're about to go through the crucible again. So me and Emily are just preparing ourselves. When you have a newborn, you don't feel like taking care of them. <laughs> Can I just be honest with you? Like you don't feel like, like I don't hear that cry and think, I love my genetic baby in there. Can't wait to go in there. I don't, go, I don't hop up at 3 a.m. saying, oh, you, you're just awake. Maybe for the first two minutes, and you're like, this is hard. You're just taking that bottle trying to find a hole to put it in. You're just like, go to sleep. Just please go to sleep. So my feeling's not there. But the truth I know is there. So the truth drives my feelings. My feelings don't drive my truth. That's very critical you get this. So regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of what's going on outside of these walls, when you come in this place, when the church of God gathers in this place, it becomes a church. So what that means is if we take this group of people and we stick it out in this field, guess what? That field becomes a church. If we take this group of people and go to movie theater and say we're going we're to be in the movie theater, we're going to sing and worship and read prayers and read scripture we're going to preach and we're going to do all those things that are the sacraments and all those things that are the ordinances of baptism lord's supper when we gather and do all those things that's where the church is at and i know i can tell by looking at you thinking pastor you don't understand i don't i just i can't get excited about this stuff you can go oh i'm about to get some of you you'll go stand in the rain to watch t swift i'm gonna pick up some of my people my family you can go to louisville to old morgan Shots fired. You can go wait in line to go sing in a room full of people. And here's the thing. You do this, and I'm going to love you, love you well enough to do this. You do this with even people that are famous Christian worship leaders. You'll go there, and you'll sing loud and unashamed, and you'll come here and be like, Jesus loves me. You'll do the TV, right, but you ain't doing the full-blown you have your hands like this, thinking, I can't go any higher. It's Baptist. Can't do it. Baptist cut off the shoulders. We can't go any higher. And let me tell you, it's the same God. Same God. Same God that worshiping there, same God you're worshiping here. The only difference is your mindset. So I would argue the problem is not with our worship team. The problem is not with our style. The problem is with the worshiper. Losing sight of the one they're worshiping. Because when you see the one we're worshiping, you understand that the worshiper doesn't matter. 
It's the one who you're worshiping that matters. So in the Lord's day, we should rest in the finished work of Christ. We should rest, we should reflect, we should sing, we should read scripture, which we've done this morning, we should preach God's word. We should follow those ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper, which we do together as a body of believers. We should have confession and repentance. That's coming up in a couple sermons here, a couple weeks. I'm not going to tell you which week because you'll be like, I'll confess I ain't going to be there. Uh, you know, at the end of the day. Because the truth of the matter is we should do those things regularly as a family of believers. And I'll even tell you even more. What should we do? We should rest, worship, and I'll even give you another one. We should delight. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is a great day. I would always, call, I would always challenge you in this to delight in God's goodness in your life. Some of you delighting in God's goodness today might be an afternoon nap. By the grace of God, other than Joey, because Caleb will kill Joey if he takes a nap again. But taking a nap on Sunday is one of God's greatest gifts. Is delighting in God's goodness. Say, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to rest. And I would even argue this. Some of you, it's going to take you a long time to rest in Jesus. But look at me. Look at me. The world makes a poor master. Look at me. This is so good. If, you're going to, if you don't, don't get it, you don't. I'm, ooh, it's so good. Pharaoh is dead. Did you hear me? He's dead. He ain't getting up. Your work and identity, your, I mean, your identity as a person does not come from what you produce. It comes from who you are in Christ. It took me a lot of years of ministry to get that. Like, I used to be one of those people, I, every phone call, I'd be like, I'm coming, I'm being there. Like, your son was having an a, a ingrown toner removed, I'd be like, I'm coming to lay hands. I'm being there. I'll be there praying. Prayer words. Rah, let's go. And I used to always say, I would in my head, guys. I, I'll be honest with you, I would think I have to be there all the time because you're paying me to do, to do a job. But it's only here in the past three years. I'm not going to lie to you. Past three years, I've really learned that I'm not your priest. And some of you, you want a priest. And you're in the wrong church. I'm sorry. I'm not your priest. I'm your pastor. And you know how I can be the best pastor? This is controversial, I know, in these day and age. Some of you are going to leave here and probably be like, I ain't coming back. The best pastor I can be to you is when I pastor my family first. Because if I'm not a good husband, I'm not going to be a good pastor. If I'm not a good father, I'm not going to be a good pastor. So that means telling you no sometimes. Some of you know this. Some of you know. You know, hey, unless it's a major thing, Pastor Nick's probably not going to be there. Because also, Pastor Nick works a full-time job. I work 60 hours a week, just like all of you. I had a guy the other day, he cracked me up, it was funny, but it wasn't funny. Uh, he's one of my clients at Hope, he came in, he's a roofer, he had hands. You know hands that when you wash them, they still look dirty? That kind of working man hands, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you'd be like, wash your hands, I have. And he came in, Kenneth, he shook my hand, he said, that's the dirtiest you'll get all day. <laughs> and I looked at my hand, Rondell, and I looked at him, and I was like, that ain't, that's true. You ain't lied. But I also told him, he said, man, it feels good in here. I said, don't it? <laughs> feels good in this office, don't it? <laughs> because all of us work. All of us labor. Some of you might be thinking, well, you know, your, your wife doesn't work. Are these single moms? They don't do this. Let me tell you something. I spent two hours of the morning with Esther. Two hours. 
I'm going to give you a testimony right now. Emily left, Kenneth, to go to town for two hours. I'm telling you, she left for two hours. I did everything I could, Dwight. I did everything I possibly could. As she landed on the floor, ah! I just looked at her. Did everything I could. I thought, it's got to be four. I looked, it was 10 a.m. She called, said, how it's going? I said, she said, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. She leaves, I'm going with her. I'm telling y'all, that's work. I'd rather go to work. But I'm telling you all this because I love you and I love you so much that I, once again, I got to reinforce this. On this Lord's Day, some of the most powerful worship you can do is sing, hear the word of God preached, but rest. Rest knowing Pharaoh is dead, Christ has risen, and Christ does not require your work anymore. He didn't require it. Look what I said. He doesn't require it. But God does ask us to serve him. And serving God is, is difficult at times, but it's very much a good thing to do. Like we have people serving this morning, people in that nursery, because you can sit in a quiet auditorium. People are downstairs discipling their kids. They're serving here at the church. I firmly believe everybody in here should be serving in some capacity in our church. So for me, guess what? Today, you might think, Patrick, you're off today. It's really not. It's a work day for me, kind of. So I really try to, on Friday afternoons or sometimes Saturday, have a day where I can just kind of say, this is me and this is our time. Like, this is family time. That's it. Block it off. You might be thinking, well, how do you do that, guys? Let me, let me tell you a bit of advice somebody told me years ago. If you don't manage your schedule, somebody else will. Turn off your phone. What, what if something happens? Are you God? You can't fix anything. Turn off your phone. Be in the room. Be present, resting and worshiping the Lord while you're with your family. Pastor Nick, that's not possible. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, and then I'll be done, because I'm, I'm, y'all know I can sit up here all day. Uh, my car has had a few mechanical issues over the course of its life. It's a Toyota. Don't be looking at me thinking, ah, I need to get rid of it. No, I'm telling you, I'm till Jesus comes. Till Jesus comes to the glory of God. And Mr. Chris Gray, I'm very thankful for him and Joni. They love me well. And Chris is always like, you ever have anything, you let me know. And he regrets that 45 things ago. <laughs> 45 things ago. And my wheel bearing went out on my back of my Corolla. And I mean, we looked at YouTube videos. And anytime in YouTube videos, you know as well as I do, they lie. They're like, can you take this hammer and boop, boop, and it comes right out. Behind the scenes, there's 45 minutes of cussing, six blow torches, broken tools. And they're like, here it is. And all week long, guess what? I've been praying. Y'all think this is silly, but I'm telling you, I, I, I firmly believe this. I was praying, Lord, let this wheel bearing come out great. Lord, please, 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 no tools be broken. Let everything go smooth. I, t- I told Chris and Pat about it the other day. I was telling him, I got this coming up. I was praying about it. Emily probably heard me talking about it all week, just praying, mowing it over, praying, praying. We go there. I kid you not, church, first time in my life, we went in there, popped right out. I ain't never. We both, you know what we both did in that garage? All praise, all praise. Because we couldn't believe it. But that's how you turn ordinary things into moments of worship because you recognize where the goodness comes from. But you know what we do? We do something good. Good job, me. I got that promotion. I got that house. Take those moments and rest and worship in the Lord knowing that worship should go where we go.
It should not be a place we go. You missed it. Worship should be where we go, right? It not, should not be a place where we go. Well, I'm going to worship. No, everything we do, do all we do for the glory of God. Do all we do for the glory of God. Last quote I'll read to you and I'll be done. It's so good, I had to read it to you though. A.W. Tozer says like this, If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him one day a week. A.W. Tozer, once again, so good. If you do not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship God one day a week. Let's worship Him seven days. And rest knowing Pharaoh is dead. Rest knowing Christ has risen. Rest knowing that the finished work of Christ determines my worth. My value doesn't come from my sexuality. How's that for this time of year? My value does not come from politics. My value does not come from my marital status. My value does not come from my children. My value comes from who God says I am. And God says I'm a child of His. That's where your value comes from. I pray, brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll come up here and pay homage, pay worship, bring nothing but lifted hands, saying, God, I'm resting and trusting in the finished work of Christ. Let's do that.